Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 36. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and all the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumbled against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening the quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew laid around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather it, each of you, as much as you can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whomever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning. And it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as they could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is the day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside until the morning as Moses had commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. 
On the seventh day, some of the people went out and gathered, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will we refuse to keep my commands and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called it manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafer made of honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let a nomer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put a nomer of the manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is the tenth part of an Ephra. John 6, 29 through 35. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him, whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Well, good morning and welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. I'm so glad that you're here with us, whether you're here on the lawn or watching online. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to spend some time with you this morning and to continue our sermon series looking at the life of Moses. But I think it's a wonderful thing to be part of a church that will just sit for six minutes and listen to the Bible be read. You know, part of believing that the Bible is God's word is meaning it's okay to just sit and listen to it, to let it, to take it in, Old Testament and New Testament. And you probably noticed the synergy between the two passages that were read. That's intentional. Because this summer, we're looking at the life of Moses that's found largely in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. But we're seeing how the life and leadership of Moses gets us ready for the life and leadership of Jesus Christ. That the stories of Moses are in large part pointing us forward to the story of Jesus. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to take it out and open it up to Exodus chapter 16 to take out your phone or your tablet, whatever device you might have, and get to Exodus 16. If you're watching online, you might open your web browser and Google Exodus 16, so you'll have it open in front of you. And as we continue our sermon series and look in particular at this passage, I have three points that I want to use as an outline to guide our time together. Three points, very simple. They go like this. I want to talk about real life, why real life matters, and how to really live. Okay, real life, 
why real life matters, and how to really live. All right, let's start with the first one, real life. You probably have noticed this, but so far the story of Moses is a story of epic moments. It's the story of a young boy who was born at a time in which you were supposed to kill Hebrew babies if they were male. His mother puts him in a basket, sends him down the river hoping for the best, and somehow he ends up adopted by Pharaoh's family. It's a story of a man who meets God in a bush that's on fire, but without burning up. It's the story of a man who faces down the most powerful man in the world as God uses him to introduce 10 plagues, showing the world that Pharaoh is, might be king, but he's not God. There's only one God. It's the story of a man leading slaves to become free, splitting the Red Sea so that they could walk across in safety and their enemies would be destroyed. It's one epic moment after a next until you get to this passage. This passage is really not about epic moments. It's about everyday life. In fact, it begins with people waking up in the aftermath of crossing the Red Sea, having just seen God do amazing things, waking up and saying, we're hungry. Where are we going to eat? When are we going to eat? That's about his everyday life as it gets. Now, I know in a minute it's going to rain bread from heaven. And admittedly, that is not every day. But I want you to see that the passage begins with an emphasis on regular life. This is like when you're binge watching your favorite show and you just watch that episode where the big plot twist happened. And then inexplicably, when you're waiting to see what's going to happen to the main character, they go into a character building episode with background and nothing new is really accomplished. That's like this passage. This is not the Red Sea. It's not the plagues. It's not Jericho. It's not Sinai. It's just every day. We're hungry. In fact, the writer makes that point. If you have the Bible open in front of you, you can see in verse 1 that he tells us their location. And he orients the location like this. He says, there are little ways outside of Egypt. That's a reference to the plagues, to the Red Sea. And then he says, and they're not quite yet to Sinai, which if you remember is a reference to Moses going up the mountain and the Ten Commandments. They are literally in between big moments. This is just every day. And the reason why this is so important is because life is not a series of epic moments. That is not real life. Your life and my life is not one big moment after another. It's mostly regular days where nothing big happens. And the biggest question is, what are we going to eat tonight? That's real life. And the reason why this story is in here is because the Israelites are going to learn a question, an answer to a question, and that is, does God care about regular days? Does God care about regular life, about real life? I want you to notice that it's kind of ironic that they would say, where are we going to eat? Aren't we just going to die of hunger? I mean, after all, they have seen God do some crazy things. 
It's like Pastor Joe said when he was preaching on the Red Sea. You would expect them to pull out a lawn chair, sit down, and say, I can't wait to see how God feeds us. But they aren't doing that. Instead, they're just focused on the needs of the day. But I want you to see that when they are asking, where are we going to eat? How are we going to survive? They don't ask God. Look at what happens here in chapter 16, verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we would have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you, you, Moses and Aaron, have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You see, Israel is coming from Egypt. They've been there for 400 years. And Egyptian theology equated God with big moments. There was the God of the sun, the God of the river. It was the God of blazing heat and the God of floods or harvest. So Israel is under the idea that you can engage God when you're on the, the bank of the Red Sea and you might die because God gets involved in big moments. But when it comes to the questions of everyday life, you shouldn't bother him. You don't ask him for food. You ask your leaders. That is the question that many of us wrestle with. Does God care about regular life? Does God care about normal days? Does God have anything to do with real life? Not just with big spiritual moments, camps, conferences, sermons, songs, celebrations, but everyday life. You know, this past weekend, it was my privilege to, to officiate two weddings yesterday. And weddings are great because they are really big moments. They are these days that couples look back on for their entire marriage and remember. That's why we do photography. That's why we do video. That's we want to remember these big moments. But always when I'm doing a wedding, I'm chuckling to myself a little bit because marriage is not big moments. It is a lot of little moments. It's a lot of parenting together, figuring out when the grass is going to get mowed, when the groceries are going to get bought, how you're going to deal with one situation or the other. Marriage isn't about big moments. It's about everyday things. And when we think about God, a God who is only about big moments would largely be irrelevant to us. We need a God who cares about real life. And that leads me to my second point, which is to show you that real life matters to God. Now, I want you to notice that the people grumble. We're hungry. Where are we going to eat? How are we going to keep from dying? Who's going to feed us? But their grumbling is not the primary reason that God acts in this passage. In fact, if you look with me at Exodus chapter 16, you will see that God says, this in verse 12. After he tells them, I'm going to send quails for meat and I'm going to drop bread from heaven for you to eat. Then he says this, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. You see, God's primary concern in this passage is that Israel would learn that the same God who freed them from slavery, the same God who sent plague after plague after plague the same God who split the Red Sea 
is the same God who cares about their everyday life. He isn't the God of the river or the God of the sun or the God of the harvest. He's the God of everything, including regular days. In fact, God is going to use this opportunity to teach them something. And that something he's going to teach them is a rhythm, an everyday rhythm that he wants Israel to learn. And I think he wants us to learn too. And that rhythm comes in three parts. The first thing he wants them to see is that they can trust him. I want you to notice that his plan is not only to drop bread from heaven and to fill the land with quail so that they get meat and bread, but he has specific instructions for how they gather it. He tells them, when you go out to gather the bread, I want you to gather this much. He says, gather an omer. That's what I want you to gather. Don't gather more. Don't gather less. And don't keep it to the next day. Go ahead and eat it because more is coming. So you don't need to save it. You don't need to lock it up in a cabinet. Just go out that day, get your omer. Tomorrow you'll get your omer. And then on the sixth day, get two days worth. Because on the seventh day, I want you to rest just as I rested when I created the world. So that's my instructions. Why would God give them a specific delivery system? God could have just made bread show up on their plates. They could have just walked around saying, I'm hungry, bread pops in their hand. Why does he pick this delivery system? The answer is because God's primary concern isn't just feeding them, it's teaching them to trust him. Every day they go out, they go out because God told them there would be bread. They're trusting him. Every day they resist the urge for the savor in the marriage. And you know who you are, the one who keeps the rest of us from having fun. Says, let's take some of that bread and, and store it away to save some for tomorrow. Let's be smart with our bread. God is saying to them, you don't need to. Don't trust your own planning. Don't trust your saving strategy. Trust me. There will be bread tomorrow because I said there will be. Every time on the sixth day, they gather two days worth. They are trusting God that on the seventh day, there won't be any. That's why when they disobey God and they take more bread than they should, or they go out looking on the seventh day, it doesn't work. Because God is saying, my primary concern isn't feeding you. It's teaching you that in the everyday cares of your life, you can trust me. That in your regular life, in your normal decisions, I want you to trust me. That's the first step. I want to be trusted. Here's the second part of the rhythm. And when you trust me, I want to bless you. God says, I want to feed you. You're hungry. And I want to feed you. And by the way, it tastes good. Do you notice that the author tells you what it tastes like? Why would he do that? Who cares? If you're hungry, you'll eat anything. It's like when my kids say to me, I'm starving. And I say, do you want carrots? And they say, no, carrots stink. And they're right, by the way. Carrots do stink. But and I say, well, you're not really hungry then. Because if you were hungry, go ahead, parrots, tell them. If you were hungry, what? You need carrots. But God doesn't give them carrots. He gives them bread that tastes like wafers dipped in honey. He also gives them meat, not just bread. Not just bread and water, but meat to enjoy with it. God is saying to them, don't you see, I want good things for you. 
I want to bless you. I'm leading you to a promised land where you're going to flourish, where you're going to really live, where you're going to enjoy life. Just trust me and I'll take you there. And then the third part of the rhythm is he says, when you trust me and I bless you, the result is you will glorify me. That's why he tells them, take a little bit of the manna and put it in something and keep it as a testimony, as a reminder of my goodness to you, that I am trustworthy, that I'm your God, that I take care of you. Listen, I know reading about a bunch of Israelites in the desert eating bread from heaven feels very removed from life today in Northeast Ohio in 2022. But this rhythm that he's teaching them could not be more relevant to your life and to mine because it is the rhythm of the Christian life. God desires that we would trust him, not just in big moments, not just in crisis, but in the everyday decisions and rhythms of our life. God's desire is that we would come to him and say, what should marriage look like? What should parenting look like? How should I manage my money? How should I think about intimacy? How should I go about my career or my friendships? Because God's desire is that we would trust him in everyday life so that he could bless us, cause us to flourish, to really live, to enjoy life in order that we might worship him. You see, Pharaoh commanded the obedience of Israel, but God is setting out to win it from them, to elicit it from them, to have it be natural, organic, a response to a good God who loves them, who desires good things for them. So you see, you couldn't just be an Israelite living in the glow of the Red Sea or the Passover or the plagues. What it really meant to be an Israelite was to say that the God who did those things is the God I'm trusting in everyday life. But my concern for so many of us is that we are happy to give God the big moments, to live in the glow of the conference we attended or the camp we went to, the moment of decision. But he is very disconnected from our everyday lives. We do not trust him or even know what he says. We do not listen to him. And therefore, we do not receive his blessing. And therefore we do not feel close enough to him to really worship. Can you imagine being an Israelite who doesn't go out to gather the manna, sitting in the camp and saying, where is God? Doesn't he care? Doesn't he see that I'm hungry? Why does he feel so distant? And the answer for that Israelite would be because God is on the other side of trust. It's as you step out and trust God in everyday life that you give him opportunity to show you that he's for you, that his desire is good for you, to bless you, that you begin to become convinced that he loves you. Listen, if you are distant from God this morning, 
Can I challenge you in love that perhaps that's because long ago you stopped trusting him in your regular life? God desires for your marriage to flourish, for your family to flourish, to lead you to life, to joy. But if you will not listen, and if I will not obey, then we're like Israelites sitting in the camp, wondering where God is, with baskets empty of bread. I was playing golf a couple weeks ago with a guy that I know, and I was listening to him talk about where he is with God. And he was saying, you know, if, if God would just tell me what he wants, I'll do anything. And I let him go on for a minute, and then I just said to him, you know, it seems to me that you are right. That if God were to drop down right now and say, sell your house, you would do it. That if God were to say to you, move to some far off place to be a missionary, you would do it. You're chasing some big moment. But if what God really wants to say to you is that you would love your neighbor, that you would be honest, that you would handle money in a certain way, you have no interest. And could it be that God is waiting for you to go out and gather your manna, to learn to trust him so that he can bless you, so that he can prepare you for the big moments that he has in store. That's where most of us are, I think, struggling to trust God in the everyday, living largely in our spiritual lives in the afterglow of big moments years ago. And that leads me to my third point, which is to ask, how then can we start really living with God? How can we become people who go to God with our regular days, our real life, and say to him, I want to live your way? This is the question Jesus picks up in John chapter 6. Jesus in John 6, you can read it, he, he says some crazy things. And so people start saying to him, hey, what sign are you going to give us that you really are the son of God? Because you, you're saying some crazy, hard, difficult, challenging things, and we need proof. And then they give the example from Exodus 16. They say like, hey, for example, when God wanted our forefathers to trust him, he dropped bread from heaven. And Jesus connects Exodus 16 to him and says, just as God gave your fathers manna, he has given you me. I am the bread of life. And if you eat of me, you will never be hungry again. What does Jesus mean? Well, I think he means two things. I think he means something big, and then I think he means something small. You know, I said this is real life, but I, I told you earlier, I mean, it's as real as life can be when there's bread dropping from heaven. That, that's a little outside the box. And the truth is that God taps into a rhythm that is true for us in life. He uses big moments to lead us to trust him in small moments. Dropping bread from heaven is how he teaches Israel to trust him with things like, what are we going to eat? And Jesus has in mind first that he is the big thing that God has given us to trust him. And this is a rhythm you know. You know, I mentioned that 
Marriage, for example, is not about big moment after big moment after big moment. It is mostly little moments. I've been married to my wife for 17 years. Most of our days are really nothing but trying to make sure the kids are alive and fed, bills are paid, and we can stay up long enough to get everything done. That's most of our regular days. But when I am lacking the energy to move about my regular days, I often go back in my mind to the moment I met my wife. In the admissions office of our college, I was standing in the lobby and she was coming down the stairs and the music was playing in my head and the light was on her and her hair was bouncing and all I heard was, oh! and I knew I'm marrying that woman if I can get her to marry me. That big moment sustains me in the difficult moments. I remember how I love this woman. It's the same with parenting. Parenting is not big moment after big moment. It's a lot of little moments. But I remember when my son Deacon was born, my firstborn child. Amy was in labor for 31 hours. When he was born, he had been in the birth canal so long that his head looked like a dirt bike helmet. It looked like it, it sloped to the back. I thought for a minute that the father might have been an alien. And by the way, no one told me that would pop back into place. I was freaking out. Everyone was saying, what a cute baby. And I was thinking, that's the ugliest baby I've ever seen in my entire life. Why are we all being polite? But I remember holding him in my arms and thinking, I'm going to take care of this kid forever. Now, most of the time with Deacon is regular life. But that big moment sustains me in the little moments. Listen, the big moment that God has given us to win our trust that moment of seeing Amy, that moment of holding Deacon is the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You won't always know why God is doing what he's doing, why he allows what he allows, why he introduces what he introduces. Regular life will introduce a number of difficulties, but God has given us the life and death of Jesus who lived sinlessly in our place and died sacrificially on our behalf who rose from the dead and told us that because of what he had done, we could be forgiven and included in what God is doing. If you're here and you're not yet a Christian, and you're wondering, how could I ever trust God with money or, or marriage or parenting or sex? How could I ever trust God with that kind of stuff? You don't start there. You start with falling in love with a God who has shown you his incredible kindness to you, who desires to win from you your worship the same way he wants to win it from Israel by sending his only son to live and die on your behalf. But if you're here and you're a Christian, there's a second thing Jesus has in mind when he calls himself the bread of life. Do you remember? Please hear me on this. Do you remember that Israel did not go out one day and collect enough manna for 40 years? They went daily. Every day their trust in God was renewed. Every day they were reminded of his goodness to them, of his love for them, of his commitment to provide for them. Brothers and sisters in Christ, hear me on this. God desires for you to eat manna every day, to run to Jesus every day, to say to Jesus, King Jesus, I want to really live. 
Can you tell me what that looks like in my marriage? Can you tell me what that looks like with my money? Can you tell me what that looks like with my fairness, with my forgiveness, with my friendships, with my life? It's interesting, Jesus says in John 6 that he who eats the bread of life will really live, will fully live. That's a rabbinical phrase that comes from the way Jewish scholars have understood the Ten Commandments. That the way historically Jewish scholars have described what happened when Moses came down from the mountain with God's ten laws is they say that God gave to Israel real life. Because they understood that God's desire in his commands, in his authority, in his kingship, is that he wants you to live. Brothers and sisters in Christ, has God not won your trust in Jesus? Do you trust him? Surely he has. Surely we do. And so let's honor him by every day running to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I need the bread of life today. What do you want from me today? Even if it's just a regular day, even if my problems are regular problems, how would you lead me? How would you guide me? How would you shape me today? Listen, the path to being close to God once again is to today, tomorrow, begin to trust him and the regular things of life. Watch what he does. Watch what he does. And as you come to really live, you will find yourself once again praising him. God is not just a God of camps and conferences and baptism and sermons and big moments in the past. He's a God of today and tomorrow and of real life. Let me pray for us. Father God, I'm struck by in this passage how Israel complains and disobeys. And yet... You you never lose your temper with them. You're just consistent in saying to them, I told you you can trust me. Just do it my way. Watch what I do. But God, it, that is so hard for us. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, for the first time or yet again to, to see how trustworthy God is, that we would lead our lives in his direction, that we would hand our lives to him, put our yes on the table for whatever it is he wants, whatever it is he wants to do, that you might lead us to real life and that we might honor you as a God of every day. In Jesus' name we pray.